This is for all the girls who grew up without strong geek role models to help them discover their geek dreams. For everyone who's ever been quizzed about their video game knowledge because those don't play games. Geek Hearing is working to bring female identifying geeks into the prime to be the role models, dreams, and voices. About to show these boys how we do it. Higher, further, faster, baby. It's not about deserve. I'm not an owl! A girl has no name. There is something supernatural at work here. It's about what you believe. Did I stop on your mom? The Guardian Leviosa. From now on, you do as I do. May the odds be ever in your favor. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Welcome to Geek Herring, a critical geek culture podcast where we talk about intersectional and inclusive feminism in a male-dominated environment. Hi, I'm Amanda, and with me today is my wonderful, hilarious, awesome, and not tits on display co-host, Moni. Are we doing this again now this time? We, okay. we are doing this again, yeah. <laughs> blah, 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 no tits for display, blah, blah, blah. So for people who listen to the podcast now, we just did this just five minutes ago, then realized I cho chose the wrong microphone. So we're doing this again. So we have great audio and not shitty ass audio and people are not annoyed when they hear themselves through my microphone. So Amanda already asked me and commented on my no tits on display. And I said, I don't have tits to display. So here we are. Hi. <laughs> and then we had like a five minute conversation about, about enhancing tits with like chicken cutlets slash fillets. And it turned into a conversation of like, UK words versus Canadian words because I'm not the only Canadian on the podcast today. We have a wonderful, marvelous guest, Gemma Glitter, Games Mistress, Gemma Grover Hines, whatever we're going to call her. She is here and she is wonderful. Hi, Gemma. <laughs> Hi. And not only am I another Canadian, I'm another Canadian transplant to the UK. True. <laughs> Yeah. This is also you um, we're actually living like quite close to each other for in Canadian terms. So it's like basically next door neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Honestly, absolutely. like the amount of times that I was in Canada and you were in Canada and we were like an hour and fifteen minutes apart and we didn't meet and just... And but like there were times when we also were flying in opposite directions on the same day. And That's like true. you flew in one direction on my birthday, I flew in the other direction on your birthday. <laughs> like we have been playing leapfrog for literal years. It's so true. <laughs> and it's so funny. And then there's also like we were uh, there was COVID and like we actually were not allowed to see each other. So that did. And that was the biggest that was the biggest piece of it was that like the majority of the time when we were both in Canada, it was COVID. Mm -hmm. And true. now there's just an Irish sea in between us. But we're going to see each other this year. Like, it's happening. Yay. There are plans. There, there are? Plans. Why? What's going on? <laughs> oh, I feel like we talk about the wedding every podcast. And I feel so like good. the listeners must be like, I need these people to just fucking get married. Like, I need it to just happen so we can stop I talking mean, about listen, it. Listen, literally every wedding takes, like, years of preparation. So this is perfectly normal. And we're all just really excited because it's going to be so great. And it's going to be not only your wedding, but also where a lot of us really meet. And this is... And you also invited so many people. And if, like, a lot of them come to your wedding, then it's, like, even bigger amount of people that you haven't yet seen. And we've really, joked really that it's like see. a little twitch con right because we've got we've got both of you and obviously like lots of other folks but like in, like cheesy for instance and and like there's just like lots of people who are going to be there who liz has met many of you i have not because i was in another country um how dare yeah so 
I know. To be totally yes, and- honest, like Tom and I decided that not to go to TwitchCon so that we can go to Canada. And part of the reason was because we're going to see basically everyone in September at your wedding. And we were like, well, it's not like we're going to miss out seeing people. Like, we're just going <laughs> to see them two months later. Yeah. So, and no, in it's a smaller class that, Shit, I really need to start getting, finding some fucking clothes for this. Look, I was yes. saying to Moni, I was I was messaging Moni on during Eurovision on Saturday, like, that dress is perfect for Jizz's <laughs> wedding. <laughs> I know. No, then it was just a fabric, so it didn't work. <laughs> and I actually but feel like I thought we were being kinder by just telling people to, like, wear whatever they want, because that way they can, like, just wear whatever. And, like, so for, for listeners or who, folks who might not know, um, Amanda's reading at our wedding and Moni's in the wedding party. And so we just told folks, like, we told everyone, like, just wear what you want, wear something smart, casual, kind of, or, like, you know, like, a little bit dressed up, but whatever you want, really. Um, and our colors are orange and pink, so we suggested that, but, like, there's no need, or neutrals, like, you can wear black, that's great. Um, and we thought we were being gentler, but I think if we just assigned everyone clothing, considering the, like, issues people are having, like, we should have just assigned you clothing. Listen, um, the problem is not... It's <laughs> not too late. The, <laughs> this is not my problem. My problem is that I don't have nice clothes. That, like, I don't have wedding-appropriate clothes. So, like... I've been living at home, like working from home for the last six years almost. I live in sweatpants and leggings and t-shirts and shit. I panicked when we met up with people for the first time because I didn't have clothes that A, fit me anymore and B, like were outside clothes. <laughs> so I, I relate to this so much. Yeah. So now okay, we have so like, like first wedding after COVID where I need to fit in clothes that now don't fit me anymore. So now I'm like, no, I, I just need anything. to be presentable from the belly button up in the exactly. front. Like there's a square in which I need to be presentable and everything yeah. else doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But yep. this doesn't work for your wedding because, because none of us are coming in boxes. That like a huge TV or whatever. That would be but shit. But imagine also if we not did. <laughs> we all wouldn't fit in the cars. Oh, yeah. That would be annoying. <laughs> so we can't do that. So we need like things that like work full body, you know. And this is where the issue comes in. That's true. And I also always have this moment of we had this Christmas party last year. This is also totally unrelated. And um have I thought oh I buy some nice clothes and I was really happy with my decision and then I got to this fucking Christmas party and A I felt super underdressed despite what I thought was nice and then Ben called me referee all the time so I was like well (laughs) fuck that so I can't even remotely say like what good clothes are anymore so this is why I'm yeah I know not because you say pink and orange that's the least of my problems anyway tell us how you really feel mon although i will say that i think i get away with more because people don't dare say shit to me about things so like i can like get away with stuff like i dare ben to call me a fucking referee i might be half his height but i'm twice his weight and i'll take him out (laughs) i mean not that i wouldn't take him out but it's also it's also 
you have you you look after yourself like you make yourself pretty and shit and i just hope i can put clothes over this potato <laughs> you know like, there's like a difference here in how we approach dressing ourselves and stuff so yes yeah and no you at home like i have a lot of t-shirts and actually they like go down a line of like how stained they are versus like can they leave the house are they just for the pc are they for cooking <laughs> like it like just goes down the line of like their use and then eventually they fall <laughs> off the end mm -hmm. new things come in the top and filter back down but that's the yeah. that's the perfect channel and the perfect funnel to a decent amount of floor wipe things that's true <laughs> exactly that's true i'm feeling like the same as you both um and really so Gemma messaged today getting uh just being like oh should i wear like a titty top with my collar um uh, not not word for word and i was like uh, it may have been word it for word actually may have been. i'm not actually sure it was a couple hours ago and i was like oh are we dressing up or are we dressing down wink wink and and then i was like oh maybe i'll wear a titty top too and i went through my closet and i i don't have any anymore because they're all like work from home tops and i'm like just i'll just pull it down in the front <laughs> i just need to be clear that this is like so this is not like usually there's like a lot more on display, right? Like this is just the top um, and it doesn't matter because I'm so short with this camera anyway that I could have it all out. My nipples are in a frame. It doesn't matter. That's a mood as well. Yeah. And um, But why are we wearing titty tops? See my segue here? Perfect. Good. We're wearing Very titty good. tops because we're talking about ethical porn and sex work. And the, the words that Gemma used were sexual service consumption and i really like that Gemma. so i'm gonna start and say like what's the difference between sex well se uh, i don't know why did you change my phrasing okay, and i don't so mean that <laughs> with shade i'm genuinely like <laughs> why do you change my phrasing <laughs> like so can you explain to me why i'm not enough please um <laughs> so <clears throat> Because, so, I mean, that's a really good place to start. And I actually want to start with some definitions. So I'm going to start with some definitions and then I'll talk about why I used the verbiage I used. So what do I mean when I say porn? Porn is visual or audio media that's intended to create sexual arousal. That is different than sex education because sex education might be as explicit, use all the same words and actually depict the same activities, but is not intended to provoke sexual arousal. Um, for the most part, porn is, um, made to make money. Um, it's a financial endeavor, um, but it doesn't have to be. When we talk about sex work, we talk about, um, sexual contact done in exchange for money or goods and services. Um, this can include exchanging sex acts for, for favors and things like that. Um, and I mean, if you really want to draw out the exchange of the idea of the exchange of sex for goods that can include shelter and, you know, there's, there's also some arguments in our, um, that you can say that there've been time in our history where, um, women generally have exchanged sex for shelter and food. Um, but that wouldn't necessarily be seen as sex work, but it's a really long, um, spectrum of what it mm. means to exchange sex for financial gain, goods and services, etc. Um, here's the thing. 
The internet in particular has made this distinction really tough because previously you had porn and that was sexual acts that were recorded in some way and distributed. So that might be recorded through like uh, like film, it might be photography, it might be audio recordings, and then it is not consumed at the same time it is happening historically. Mm -hmm. And then historically sex work happened in person between two two or more individuals. The internet has made that challenging because where do things like camming fall in? And what that is, is like, is a cam performer where it's happening, there isn't direct contact, but there is, there's not direct physical contact, but there is sometimes direct communication happening at the same time. Um, It is a performance, but it is also sex work in that it is, it is, playing to a person, interacting with a person, causing someone um, sexual arousal in the moment that it's happening in a way that sex work is. But again, it's also a performance. It's also content creation. And then those things, you know, cam shows and stuff can go on to live other lives as things that people purchase as clips, etc. So the reason I changed the verbiage is because the lines between porn and sex work are really blurred right now. And so what we're really talking about is sexual service consumption. What we're talking about is people engaging in sexual activity for financial benefit. And there is a a huge amount of things that that includes. Um, And it does include things like, in my world, it does include things like sex adjacent work, which would be things like um, writing erotica, producing like audio pieces. It might be giving BDSM workshops and things like that. And I would argue even things like working in sex shops is like sex adjacent work. So while it mm-hmm. doesn't fall in this porn sex work type um, and certainly doesn't have the same um, marginalizations and same um, issues around ethics often, it is perceived with a lot of the same stigma. And so it holds a lot of that. And it's held in the same work in that um, it is about it is about sexual arousal. It is about money. It is about selling services. And so sexual service consumption is what I use as like a good catch-all to talk about how we as a society have commodified sex and what that means. Mm-hmm. That makes so much Thank more you. sense. Yeah, because I was like, okay, well, use this verbiage, but I'm not exactly sure why. So that makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, so yeah, so I think like that is, is key in it, but it's not that using the words porn or sex work are wrong. It's that it kind of leaves things out in the day of the internet where OnlyFans Mm -hmm. is like a huge and, and similar campsites are a huge piece of the market. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also based um, on the what the what did we see the documentary? Did we talk about this here or on Whack? Where no, it's the about the Pornhub documentary. Pornhub, oh yeah, where it's yeah, about yeah, that was yeah content creation and creators have more agency about their own content basically now through yep. pages like OnlyFans and mm-hmm. and other similar platforms. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, um, sorry, my brain has just gone like, (laughs) I thought you were about to ask a question. That's why I was waiting. Mm, No, I was going to, but then it 
left my brain. I'm so sorry. This is um, okay. great time for that to happen. Brain, go ahead. If money, if you had something. To say. <laughs> so you wanted to give us a bit of uh, an additional, like, core information about, aside from why you call it what you call it now, but like a bit of an introduction yeah. on on porn and things like that, ethical porn. And well, stuff and like I that. think. I think it's even important to talk about what we mean when we say ethical. Mm -hmm. So um, when something is called ethical, it generally means that it's done um, without exploitation. Um, the reason why we use terms like ethical porn or ethical meat or ethical clothing is because we add ethical to an industry when the standard has become unethical. The standard mm -hmm. is based in exploitation. And so... I mean, under capitalism, you can argue that nothing is ethical. However, <laughs> generally speaking, we don't talk about some industries as whether they are ethical or not, like ethical filmmaking, because there are lots of unions and things like that that help keep standards, and there's industry standards that keep it generally not being extraordinary exploitative. Mm -hmm. There are obviously... I don't want to like get into the into like the ethics of of who's paid what on film sets but mm -hmm. generally speaking that's the case. Whereas things like you know food especially meat production and things like that the standard is pretty exploitative the standard is pretty unethical and so we start distinguishing as something being ethical options of it because what you get mainstream doesn't consider that. Um and I agree that, um, so there's a comment in chat about there's no such thing as ethical consumption capitalism. People have been saying that for decades, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a, that's a thing that us leftists say. And so for, like, that's absolutely true. And I will talk about that later in particular when I talk about my three C's of sex work. Um, but yeah, so generally speaking, assuming that capitalism is the, is the, you know, world we're living in, and it is, that's how we talk about things that don't um, increase and depend on exploitation of people generally, but that can also be materials, the world mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I think we just need to look at the, well, I mean, we recently watched the Pornhub documentary and talked about that and how unethical that was when it came to pornography and the distribution and that entire like I want to say scandal but it's not and like it was a scandal but like it is also not unique to Pornhub um, yes with... the Pornhub scandal was in particular about Pornhub's um individual operations as a company it was not, however, unique to the way in which we exploit porn, women, vulnerable people within sexual service consumption industries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like the opposite conversation of that. Yes. <laughs> and I'm very excited to get like, get into it. Um, so how do we find ethical porn? Is that a good place to start? Yeah, I mean, I think that, so I think the, the, where I want to start is simply by saying that there are a lot of arguments that there is no such thing as ethical porn or ethical sex work. And there's a few 
groups of people, broadly speaking, who will believe this. Some are abolitionist uh, feminists who believe that things like porn and sex work are always inherently exploitative of women in particular, and therefore it's impossible to make it ethical. Other groups, such as those who are very religious, who believe, who equate sexual purity with morality, believe that things like sex work and pornography are impure and therefore can never be moral and therefore never be ethical. I am not that person. Um, <laughs> and I think like this might be a good point for me to simply say like a little bit of the stance I come from because settling myself in that is really important for me. So I am, um, so I work as an erotica writer. That is my, that is my uh, main job for the last nine years now. Um, but on top of that, I have volunteered within sexual assault uh, prevention and education, including serving on the board of a sexual assault center, regional sexual assault center in Canada for six years and being their president for three. I have sat for two years on the board of a sex work action uh, project in Canada. Um, I've worked within HIV awareness and prevention for um, many, many, many years, goodness now, uh, I don't think I can count it. 17, maybe. <laughs> um, and I have a history within the kink community that includes working as a dom um, for eight years. And so like I bring all of those various things. Um, I was also the chair of a of a, an anti-human trafficking project in Canada for a year and a half, um, a very majorly federally funded one. And so I bring all of those perspectives in. And I think that... Um, that has it's important for me to ground myself in that because it would be I, I'm not someone who's pro porn because I don't understand human trafficking. I'm not someone who's pro porn because I don't understand exploitation. And I'm certainly not someone who doesn't see the pain that is caused. But that is why I believe so strongly in destigmatizing things because the stigma is what allows the unethical practices to continue. Um, there is this wonderful saying within the HIV movement in particular, there's two that I want to draw on, and I draw a lot of my knowledge of personal politics from HIV communities, um, from the pause people and from pause people who have fought for liberation for a very long time. Um, so credit where credit is due. Um, and so one is nothing for us without us. And that was their rallying call, Pause People's rallying call um, around ARVs, but also around some of the, the political implications that happened during the HIV epidemic. And to this day, I have not seen a single movement work so hard to achieve such representation within itself. So meaning... I don't know a single ASO that doesn't employ people who have HIV. Um, ASO means AIDS Service Organization, so an organization that works around HIV prevention and the support of those who are positive. Um, and the second one that I feel is, um, is like key to how I understand things is that um, disease festers in, in the margins. And what that means is when we put things off to the edge, that is where we actually have, and I don't mean disease like HIV, although that, I mean disease like hatred. I mean disease like racism, like sexism, like exploitation. 
social disease. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about health. And so when we push things to the margin, they are out of the light. They are in the corners. They are in the crevices. They are forgotten. And that is when pain develops. That's when injustice Mm -hmm. develops. And so for me, it means myself with my lived experiences being central in the conversation. And it also means that, and others like me, um, including the advisory board for, one of the things I'm really proud of is that the advisory board for my human trafficking project in Canada, and I say my, but the one I put the paperwork in for um, and got the funding for, and then and is now doing amazing things on its own, I am no longer involved, um, had an advisory board entirely made up of survivors of human trafficking. And out of every organization that put something in in Canada, we were the only one who had mm. an advisory board of people who were survivors. Um, it's important for these voices to be centered, and it's also important to remove the stigma. And we cannot remove the stigma from sex work and porn by saying it's bad. Mm. You can't. And so when we talk about, we know, we, what, the saying is always, you know, prostitution is the world's oldest profession and things like that, that we've been mm. selling sex for a really long time. We're not going to get rid of sex work, nor do I think we need to. But what we need to do is start talking about it in ways that normalize it, that make it safe, and that make it culturally okay. Because right now, the options are engage in these things secretly and live a double Mm. life, engage in them publicly and lose much of what you hold dear, or don't engage in them and never say it's okay to do so those are the socially okay options right now mm, true and that's not going to be liberation for anyone no. either those who consume it or those who work in the industries so mm-hmm. yeah it is that's, quite that's fascinating how start. double-edged that sword is too like not only especially also when it comes to porn because so many people watch it right like it's it's like Pornhub in the um, ser- episode that you made us watch, they mentioned it again, like how much traffic there is on a page like Pornhub. So people are consuming it like more than any other yes. platform, like let's, let's call it a social platform or whatever. So, so many people consume so much porn, right? So then stigmatizing it and sh- shunning it basically by say, by, by, talk like it's so ridiculous because everybody is consuming it in one way or the other right so it's fine for you to watch it but it's not fine that the people provide it for you like like how hypocritical is that right Mm -hmm. like you want to see it obviously you want to see it but then you have opinions about people that do yeah it's like i'm gonna watch this but i'm going to shame you for starring in it and and like And the way you watch porn isn't in a, like, at least the vast majority of people. And we talk about statistics across various gender markers. We're talking about anywhere from about... Sorry, I was muted. Um, (laughs) When we are, when we're talking about porn, we're not watching it, like, we're not just casually watching it. It's something we opt into to engage with. And we talk about the statistics of who's watching porn. Um, We have... Anywhere across the gender markers, anywhere from about 35% to about 70% of any particular gender you look at regularly 
-hmm. regularly meaning I think once a month, at least once a month, consuming porn. Mm -hmm. And so if you have that huge amount of society, and like to put that in perspective, when we talk about having notable segments of the population be in one way or another a difference, the marker's 10%. We start talking about it at 1% to 2%. When we talk about statistically significant minority populations, we talk about 10%. The minimum here, what we're talking about is 35. (laughs) It's not a minority anymore. It's not a minority anymore. And so it is a statistically significant number of people who are consuming sexual services in one way or another. And that doesn't even include, when we look at those statistics, that doesn't include the average book in the bookstore that has six sex scenes that someone takes in the tub with them. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're including in that statistic. When you include things like that, or, you know, we all know that like certain sex scenes in movies that are like, like Hollywood movies get rewatched for the same reasons. Like we're not talking about that when we talk about that statistic. And what does it mean that we have that huge number of people engaging? while also saying like, that's gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's also the, like, why is it socially acceptable to read, like, Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, or, like, a, a, a mommy porn books or these, like, fantasy books that have very graphic sex scenes in them that are coming out now. Um, and I'm, there's no shame. I'm like, thank you very much. These books are very good. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, like, that's socially acceptable porn. Yep. Whereas admitting like talking about like watching porn um is a bit more taboo depending on where you're who you're talking about it with but like saying like oh yeah you know dragon sex like super hot you know (laughs) honestly but that's because we are in a bubble and i can say that you know like we're in a bubble culturally in many ways the three of us where at least in this part of our lives that's fine to talk about. We talk about sexuality. We talk about things like that. Mm. But in the average, like, could I wear what I'm wearing? Which, to be fair, like, to those listening, is like a black top that shows some cleavage and a black and silver chained collar. Could I wear this to pick up my kids at school and not be seen as exposing kids to something etc and this is not a question like I don't want to talk necessarily about kids and sexuality but like we have so many striations of what is acceptable and for the most part out in everyday society nothing about what I do is acceptable Mm -hmm. it might be glamorized it might be glamorized people might be like oh my goodness like you write dirty stories but they don't want to know what those, like, anytime I, like, talk factually about what the stories are about, people are like, oh. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> I know. It's, uh, yep. Like, they don't. And so, and that's why porn is sex ed, right? That is why porn is sex ed. Because we mm-hmm. don't talk about sex ed as sex ed. We don't engage in it. And so porn becomes sex ed. And then it becomes filthy because we don't ever have value neutral presentations of sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, also the sex that, I mean, I know that my sex it is like long past, right? It's been a long, long time ago, but equally it's ridiculous. And I don't think so much. My nephew still had the same biology teacher that I had, like, and that my brother had, and he's like 13 years older than me. Right. So, so you kind of, 
can expect what's coming from there, which is look at the anatomical graphic of a body, put a condom over a banana and that's it. That's your sex yep. set, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's also like lacking in so many ways. And yes, there are a lot of great organizations that try and do better things. and But it's not something that's like widely in any curriculum or whatever. So things where we get information from is either porn or I mean now partly sex education the series I think that's doing an incredible job with just pointing <laughs> shit out right yes. like which nobody ever talked about any of these things anywhere on tv or anywhere so I feel that's just something that's more approachable and if it's not that then the next step is porn so like there is this huge ass gap of, of and of because what, of what the goes. internet because of the internet and search engine optimization when you type anything remotely sexual into google and you take safe search off because obviously you take safe search off because otherwise you're literally going to get just medical journals you type anything in especially with the language you may have which isn't always biological um, like names for things. It might be slang terms or, or colloquial terms for things. What pops up is Pornhub. What pops mm -hmm. up is hardcore porn and hardcore mainstream porn. Mm -hmm. And so when you are looking for information, that's what you get. And I think, you know, this is a good segue into um, the episode of Planet Sex that I suggested we watch for this, which was, depending on where you are, um, in North America, it's called Pornocopia. Over in the UK here, it's called, like, Can Porn Be Good? Um, it's it's part of the first season of the Planet Sex show with Cara, Cara Delevingne and, and has the word porn in the title. <laughs> um, and I have to say, um, I really enjoyed that episode, um, like, I, I found it really informative and also pleasantly surprising that that type of content is being shown on the BBC. Potentially, I mean, like, I don't know, it's on the iPlayer, so I assume it's on yep. the BBC, but, and, and like, it's just a nice, like, a breath of fresh air um, to have that in mainstream content, because the BBC tends to be mainstream content. Um, I don't know what time of the day it was put on. I mean, Gemma, you and you and I probably relate to this more, but like growing up, we had sex with Ch Su, jo Su Johansson. Um, yeah, and like she is an absolute queen, and she was like sex show at what eleven thirty at night or something. Yeah, in, it in was Canada. it was before midnight for sure, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was like on uh, other than porn. That's where I learned everything about sex. Yeah, we had the magazines. The it was called Bravo. So they had like Dr. Soma team. So a doctor, I don't think she was a doctor at all. And people asked questions and you just read what they were. Is it weird that can somebody get pregnant from and shit like that, you know, and you just read it from there. And they also previously used, used to have naked teenagers in them, which in hindsight is probably quite questionable. But they used to have naked teenagers in them. So you could at least see that so when my mom yeah. tried to explain she to me i was like no everything from the bravo thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> so, so that so, so my sex it was basically my bio teacher with the condom and the banana the bravo and then i found porn in my parents cupboard and that was not a great experience <laughs> like it was like in hindsight 
quite kinky porn with urine and food and i was like i was sitting there at 14 and this wasn't it right it was really not remotely anything yep. i wanted to see especially not from my parents cupboard so i was just like so, so there i still think there's so much such a gap in everything and that's but that's one of the challenges is when we talk about porn as sex ed one of the other issues is that porn is intended for adults it's intended for adults who have an education and i don't i'm not saying like when they make porn mainstream porn they're thinking like the people who are watching this have had a fulsome 12 year sexual education that's not what I, that's not what they're saying but like it's not intended to be sex ed and so one of the things that i sometimes find frustrating with this emphasis of um so within within the the show to back up a little bit within the show Kara talks to a couple porn directors and talks to a couple people who are are making porn in some way or showing different sides of porn and one of the things that these people emphasize is the idea of intimacy and connection. And I agree that intimacy and connection is an important part of an individual's healthy sexual life. But I struggle a little bit when the idea is that in order for it to be good or ethical porn, it has to focus on intimacy mm -hmm. and eye contact and gentleness and all of that stuff because it doesn't. Mm. What it needs to be ethical is for everyone involved to have chosen to be there mm -hmm. and to be compensated well and to know the choice that they're making and to have freely chosen it. Mm -hmm. that's what it needs to be ethical um i don't believe there's anything wrong with hardcore pornography that depicts a lot of kinky stuff if everyone there is actually actively choosing to be engaging and the people watching know the difference between porn as fantasy and porn as reality we do not need to change porn to show healthier sex, whatever healthier sex means, because it's sex ed. We need to have sex ed. Mm -hmm. The yeah. issue isn't that porn doesn't depict things well. That is an issue, but it's not the issue in this case. Mm -hmm. The issue is that porn shouldn't be the sex ed. So yeah. even if it shows real couples, real meaning actual couples outside of the film, engaging in a different type of sex great and that might be really sexually arousing to someone and they deserve to see that and we deserve to have lots of porn that works for us but we don't need to talk about porn being more ethical because it's sex ed we need to say fuck that we need sex ed so that we can have our fantasy and get off to it mm -hmm. and not like and especially sex ed that's age appropriate right so starts at age three or four and continues all the way up into 20s right and mm -hmm. lord at this rate 60s because that's where stis are being spread most right so like <laughs> yeah. we need to have sex education and we can have sex education be less dry than it was but i don't believe that we are benefited by deciding that we need to have better porn because it's sex ed Mm -hmm. And yes, I agree with the the commenter around like that we um, saying porn needs to teach more sex ed is like saying Rambo should teach gun safety. <laughs> like this is not the world like porn is not the world of teaching sex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, you just nobody just reads 
autobiographies people read fantasy books so you need there is like there's an awareness that some things can be fantasy and aren't real even like in the porn industry like there isn't an issue with what is out there there's an issue with how with how it's used by people who shouldn't who are not the like and specifically speaking about teenagers who go and try and find out more about sex than what they find is hardcore porn yes. with big ass dicks and big tits and whatever and like and rough and it's rough with, and it's yeah. it's often male dominating women yeah. and things like that and my issue isn't that that exists it's that that is what's seen as normal yeah. Yeah. and what is seen as average and what is yeah. seen as like the entry point for sex my yeah. issue is that porn is not diverse enough at all mm. Mm. and doesn't include a whole array of things like it is even when I say I'm kinky the assumption is that I'm submissive like when I tell people like I'm kinky they're like oh you know like good girl kind of stuff and I'm like fuck you good girl like <laughs> yeah, that's not what you're getting not. from me <laughs> um and so they're not like paying attention Gemma <laughs> yeah. but I just like because that's such the norm right and so to me ethical porn isn't about not being what we see on you know mainstream it's about porn where people are choosing to engage in that and so you know maybe i'm going to talk about the because i keep saying chose choosing the three c's of sex work and porn chosen circumstantial coerced chosen means that if you had any choice and could choose any job any anything you choose to be a sex worker you choose to be in porn you choose to be a cam girl great that's what you're choosing circumstantial means you need to find a way to make money and you're taking a job that might not be your first pick but in similar ways of like working at mcdonald's or whatever that circumstances have led you into being in the industry for the most part it's still a choice but your circumstances may circumstances may have dictated that you didn't have a ton of choices and in those cases it's a lot of gray area it's a lot more challenging and oftentimes those are the people who are looking to like they'll say things like i don't want to do this for the rest of my life like it's it's putting food on the table for my kids now but i don't want to do this forever those are the types of things you often hear from people who are doing uh, sex work because it's the circumstances and then there is coerced which is forced and that is human trafficking that is people who are underage that is people who um, feel that they need to engage in whatever form of sex work to actually like get food like in in cases where it's not you know just when it's not money but it's actually shelter I'm I'm engaging in sex with this person because I can live here if I do those are the three C's of sex work. And I tried really hard to find a good article to talk about those things. And I couldn't. And I think like, I think the, the verbiage has just fallen out of use. But to me, it's really important because that distinction is why when we talk about ethical porn, for instance, and people start to say like, these girls are forced into it. That's not ethical then. Like that is human trafficking. That is, that is that is like there's so many <laughs> layers to that and what i am talking about is enthusiastically chosen sex work enthusiastically mm -hmm. chosen pornography en enthusiastically chosen cam work um and circumstantial means that what we do is provide 
legal safety and and social safety to people who feel like sex work might be their only option and give them support to you know, find other jobs or do whatever feels good to them to move out of it. But while they are in it, not degrade them, not make them feel bad about their choice, not make them feel like because they had to make that choice, they can never make another one. Um, in the same way that we should really like when we talk about minimum wage and people are like, if you don't like minimum wage, you should get a new job. Like that's the same. It's circumstantial work. No one's, you know, like it's the same type of thing that we're talking about. And then it is hard, like hard lines around coercion. And that's where the stuff with Pornhub, you know, got really dicey. But it's also why there's so, why I get really nervous around amateur porn. A lot of people talk about amateur porn as being the ethical porn because you're watching two people who actually know each other choose to have sex and put it on the internet. And I guarantee you, you have no way, unless you're actually talking to the performer or talking to the people in it, and even then sometimes not, if it's coerced. Mm -hmm. A lot of amateur porn is revenge porn. A lot of amateur porn is stolen porn. A lot of, a lot of it. And people don't, people who love amateur porn don't like that reality. But unfortunately, it is the reality. And it's one of the reasons why I keep going back to actually the porn industry for consumption. Because especially with feminist porn, especially with some of the labels, you can guarantee, guarantee as much as you can anything, that there's been some standards there. And unless I personally know the performers in some clips... I'm always really worried, like, does this person, especially if there's, like, no face and things like that. I mean, if there's a face in it, there's other issues. But, like, when it's just, like, miscellaneous genitals, does that person even know that it's on the site? Yeah. And can it be identified as them? I mean, I'm glad it can't be identified as them. But, like, will they ever have an answer if mm -hmm. that's them? And I, I fret about that a lot understandably so yeah um so one thing um that i wish the documentary actually said like the the planet sex with cara delavine like she she said um that she finds herself going back to amateur porn um because she finds she finds it more entertaining um, but I wish that what you you have just said was included, um, like, like in in that, and like these, like yes, it might be you know more consensual in some cases, but also there is a lot of cases where it's not, and I think that that would have been really important to highlight in a documentary, especially this documentary when it was talking about like making pornography more ethical um, mm -hmm. to to create and consume. Um, that that was something that was touched on. And it's, it's the thing that I, I thought of too. And it's what actually made me like in my notes for today's episode, when I was thinking about the, like, I believe that she felt like she was presenting these options of better porn, of better mm. sexual service consumption. And it included, you know, a director that was focusing on, um, it was Erica Lust, um, who was focusing on making like feminist porn. 
Um, it included the idea of boy love, which is manga that features male-male relationships written by women for women. And I'll talk about that one in a minute. It included amateur porn and intimacy um, and, um, and real couples and talking about amateur porn. And I like, if you can find, and you can find, but if you are sourcing your amateur porn from good places, great. You can be sure. If you are looking for amateur porn on Google <laughs> and going into a website, it's just revenge porn. And I, I don't, I don't want to yuck your yum. I don't want to like, I don't want to, you know, like just tell you what you've been getting off to is revenge porn, but it's revenge porn. That's mm -hmm. what the sites are full of for amateur porn. Or if it's not like revenge porn, it's things that have been shared at a time when it was okay. And then they can never get the rights back to take mm -hmm. it out. Like there's a lot of like circumstantial stuff where like at one point it may have been consensual and it no longer is. And that's what's on Pornhub and that's what's on X hamster. And that's what's on a lot of places. People who just share random stuff on Reddit. That's what it is. Like, unless it's the actual person or people who are in it, who are sharing, chances are it's not consensual because the people who are sharing it consensually will be sharing it themselves. They, they rarely have consented to other people sharing it. If I put my tits on the internet, and you see my tits because I have put them there, great. The minute someone takes that picture and posts it on a subreddit, that's no longer consensual porn. Mm -hmm. The internet is so fucked, man. Mm -hmm. True. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so feminist I mean, porn. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. Um, it is and a it thing. And is, it is people um, making more ethical consensual porn um with boundaries and and Consent. likes and, and pay. turn 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 on and turns off turn offs and pay like yep. yeah and and um and with everyone involved having a say in what happens i think that that's the the biggest key to feminist porn is that the people are engaging in acts that they have chosen. And in the most, in most cases, there is real sexual arousal. It is not just acting. There's mm -hmm. some acting. And in those cases, a lot of those people are getting off on acting. Um, and they are getting paid properly. They know what they're mm -hmm. getting into. They are not being exploited. And one of the things I always like ask people is where's your money going and whether it be sex work or camming or or pornography or whatever where is your money going so if you if you buy a clip if you buy whatever where is the money going and in feminist porn the actors are getting paid in fact a lot of them get royalties in fact some of them are collectives where they keep making movies together or keep making content together and continue to split the pay um and so my, my that's where i that's what i challenge people to do where is your money going when you are consuming sex where is your money going and one 
if it's no money, that might be the first red flag, but I do have um, a link around how to get some free feminist porn. Um, and I shared that with, with Moni and Amanda earlier. So it's a bit of an older article, like it's about two years old now. Um, but that's a good starting point basically on where to, where to find some feminist porn for free. Um, and two, if you are paying for it, whether that be a sex, whether that be like, if you are hiring a prostitute, whether you are hiring a sex worker or you are buying porn or whatever, who's getting your money? Because if most of the money isn't going to the person who's performing or doing the service, you are part of the problem. And I'm trying to not be an asshole when I say that because I don't want people to feel bad. But just think of, like in my mind, like that's why when we talk about sex work and sex worker rights, what we're talking about is sex workers being able to keep the money they earn and not have it go to middle to middle folk and not have it go to protection and not have it go protection, meaning people who, who um, keep them safe on the streets and things like that. Um, because where's your money going? And you, you ultimately, if consuming porn ethically and consuming sexual services ethically is something important to you, you got to pay for it. Yep. So, yeah, so feminist porn, like, yes, desires matter. Yes, um, like consent. I was going to say, you know, yes, consent matters. Consent, without consent, it's not sex work. It's human mm -hmm. trafficking and rape. Mm -hmm. um, it's not these things. Um, but money if we are talking about an industry where it is the exchange of sex for money, you can't remove the money from it and call it ethical. <laughs> yeah. So true. All the people has been so like, especially based on how much consumption there is. It's actually wild how little and how obviously important it is to people because why would people watch it so often otherwise? Like, and like, and you invest so much more money in other shit every day, right? But this thing yeah. that you regularly do and you regularly consume, on the one hand, is so important that you do it so frequently, but on the other hand, it's not important enough to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. Like one of the one of the websites on um, the article that Gemma shared with us, and we will put this in the show notes, um, is Balesico. Um, and like, they have plans starting at $3 a month. Um, like yeah. you, there is no, like that's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Like if you go to Starbucks, like, and that's a month. And like, when mm -hmm. you really think about it like that, like that's ethically consuming porn, you're paying for your porn to a feminist porn website. Um, that yes. also has a lot of like free content as well. But like, when you really think about like, if you're consuming this regularly, like $3 a month is nothing. And you're contributing to the financial gain of like the, the exchange. The, the proper of... compensation. Yes. Yep. That, thank you. The words <laughs> yes. were just, I'm having a really yes. bad word day, but yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's why, you know, like, and um, I always talk about like, who are you, who are you buying from? What platforms are best and things like that. And, Ultimately, like there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges with it. One of the things I do want to note is that one of the biggest hurdles in ethical 
sexual service consumption is credit card companies because mm-hmm. it is really so one of the things that is is generally known in financial world is that porn sites and things like OnlyFans have the highest number of um, people um, basically like wanting their money back. So they'll like contact the, the credit card company and say, you know, I want my money back. And sometimes it's because of fraud, because these because cards are used for fraud for these sites. It's also a like, no, honey, I don't know where that charge comes came from. I will call MasterCard right away. Um <laughs> And so, like, it's, it's, there's a lot of things feeding into it. Yes, I paid 20 euros for a porn video. What about it? Yes. Yeah. But, but for real. And so it also means that sometimes cards get closed down. Like, some, some cards, MasterCard especially, hates porn. And so MasterCard has basically stopped allowing its card to be used on many adult sites. The other, the other like issue is that some banks have started refusing to allow their like virtual like credit cards to be used for porn. And so you can have your bank account closed down for legitimately trying to purchase from a legitimate site within your own country. Mm-hmm. And those are things that are a huge issue, right? So in my world, in my like dream world, we're able to pay for sex work in front of us with a credit card. We're so far off from that though, because we're so far off from being able to even buy porn through a legitimate site on a credit card. I never thought about that. Like, obviously the the Pornhub documentary had like the whole issue with MasterCard and um and only fans and and i i know that we're referring to something that we didn't we, we already talked about like a month ago but um but it never this never crossed my mind as an issue that like putting it in pink label plus i'm just looking at this website you gave me um pulling yep. up poor names um but like that that might cause an issue and you actually are trying to be ethical and pay for your yes. consumption of porn and your credit card's like eh, nah and that's one of the things stupid isn't it like it's so frustrating it is so stupid from these companies as well because you are getting money off of this company like you are getting a certain percentage of the money people are spending on this site why the Mm -hmm. fuck do you say i'm not doing it because you're like in this particular situation you're suddenly averse to making money like you're exploiting everybody else like i'm paying so much fucking fees just that people can fucking pay me and you don't just but in this regard where people are willingly like wanting to spend money and 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 you just make it so difficult for people to do that like are you why do you hate making money now like what what and this is this is this intersection between the religious right money and people who don't understand technology really like this is where the interest the venn diagram where they intersect is most frustrating because what you have is a huge group of lobbyists who are ultimately generally very right-wing and religious saying sex is bad we cannot put money into anything related to sex 
We've got a group of people who control the laws and the finance industry who don't understand what's happening in terms of that piece of, of the world. Um, and then we have like, like lawmakers who don't understand, like we've allowed corporations to rule things and then decide that they're not going to put money towards things or not allow their services to be used. And ultimately what you get is this people who are already marginalized end up even more marginalized, like even more, because if like, I know this is, seems random, but I promise it's coming back into, into perspective. I've spent about nine months total in the UK in the last two years. Last week was the first time I ever saw a 20 pound note. I have seen a 10 pound note and a five pound note. And that's because I kept them when they came into my, and like, I keep them because it's paper money. I couldn't tell you what I, I couldn't even tell you what the change denominations are here because no one uses cash. Mm. How do sex workers who can only exchange cash because all digital money is unavailable to them survive in a world that doesn't allow you to survive on just cash? Like we've now entered into a new era of challenge with this where the only currency that can be used to exchange is cash and then you can't do anything with it. You can't pay your rent in cash anymore. Mm -hmm. You certainly can't pay your council tax or your school fees or your car insurance. You can't pay any of it in cash anymore. And so then you're depositing large amounts of money that you can't say where it's come from. And they freeze your account for that too. True. Sorry, Ugh. this is not necessarily, but, but like, this is part of why it's so hard to ethically consume because the barriers have been put there by so many industries, financial, the judicial system, all of that. And when we look at things like FOSTA and SESTA, which were the two major like anti-human trafficking laws that were put in place in the U.S., um what they did was penalize companies who provide places to advertise sex, whether that be anything from panty selling to, to like sex work, like sort of traditional sex work to camming, whatever, and put the, the onus on them to prove that whoever was advertising was doing so consensually. Don't get me wrong. That's a fine idea. These companies would rather just not and so they stopped allowing for the advertising. And so what that means is that even I had all of my work frozen because it was on an American server and it was kinky. It wasn't depicting anyone, anything illegal, but the layers there, because a law was put into place where they felt, yes, I know what we're going to do. We're going to put the onus on determining that the person that these people aren't being trafficked and that is really important like i agree like we need to do everything to stop human trafficking we can't then throw other people under the bus to make them more marginalized to increase the stigma which increases the chances that they will end up in vulnerable situations and also be used similar to the people who are being trafficked mm -hmm. it's like as if it's generating the people for themselves by putting that in place yes. right like it's we're trying to prevent this from happening, but we need people 
so that we can keep preventing this from happening. So we just recreate this never-ending cycle of producing people that drop into the stigma and then need to be rescued so I can be the savior of everyone instead of yes. opening it up and like really trying to get rid of what the what the issue is really is here and it's not the the sex work in itself it's like certain people in yep. it yes absolutely like that's and it creates unfortunately this cycle yeah um and so for me like I just challenge people to think about how they are consuming these services. And there are lots of folks, like nothing nothing is 100% safe, especially if you, like, meaning you can't always know everyone's life circumstances when you interact with folks um, in these ways, especially. And you don't, in some ways, it's not healthy to want to know all of their life circumstances. Like we want to have some good fourth wall stuff. Um, but I think, like, do your research. And mm -hmm. what that means is, is the person posting the clips the person in them? Because ding, 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 that's the first sign that something good is happening. It means <laughs> that they are in some way engaged and involved. Mm -hmm. um, can you see them on social media? Are these people, like, do they have a presence on social media? Whether that be through things like Twitter, which still allows sexually explicit material, or through, um, you know, through like, what does their OnlyFans look like? What does their platform look like? What does their, you know, on a, on a campsite, are they there? Um, like, and, and read body language. Like, do the people in the clips look like they're enjoying themselves? And like, I know that seems like such a basic thing, but honestly, do they? Because mm. that's a good indication as how it's going. Mm -hmm. If she looks dead behind the eyes, let me tell you. She Chances eyes. are it's not a good time for her. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also want to note one of the things that people are often a little miss, like they don't quite have quite the right idea. And that is about condoms in porn. So um, there's been a big push to show safer sex, i.e. barriered uh, sex in porn. And I recognize the importance of that if we're looking at porn as sex ed. We want to show people engaging in sex with condoms um, for Penetravax or for fellatio because that is STI prevention. And I totally understand that. And let me tell you, one of the more dangerous things for STIs in a porn shoot is condoms because it increases the amount of dryness and increases the amount of micro tears, which actually causes more injury. Because in porn, we're not talking about 15 seconds of furious fucking and we're done. In porn, <laughs> they're working for three hours and taking things from different, like, I don't mean taking, but like angles, like they shoot the same scene six times with different angles and things like that. No rubber and what can you hold do, that long is what you mean. <laughs> and it doesn't, well, and it doesn't, like, it causes a lot of micro tears. And generally speaking, can cause, like, there's even, like, women who work in the adult industry who develop contact allergies to latex because it's so much more than, a, like, actual sex with people. So, yes, if you are hooking up with someone, 
Condoms are amazing. Dental dams are great. These are the things you should be using. But condoms in porn are actually an issue. <laughs> because almost all jurisdictions have mandatory STI testing, which is actually blood testing before and after shoots and people have to stay registered and they report their results and everything is on a dossier. Everything is, you know, connected that way. Um, especially if you're talking about feminist porn, but even in places like California. And so, um, condoms are actually counterindicated in a lot of cases for that safety. And so obviously, um, condoms are important and if someone wants to use condoms in their shoot great but this like we're gonna mandate everyone to use condoms mandating everyone to use condoms if they're just fucking is fine like and I don't know that it's fine but you know what I mean like it's the same thing as saying like you know if you have trouble with whatever use an assistive device that's great is the assistive <laughs> device actually practical for eight hours of it mm -hmm. <laughs> Like, I can use my gripper arm to reach things because I'm short, but after a while, holding the gripper arm is really heavy, and it's, it's actually not helping Ikea. the issue. <laughs> yeah. When you see the cupboards, when they open and close it constantly, if it works for a long time, use. <laughs> yes. I have doubts like that they do on that the with cushion. Yeah. <laughs> <Machine>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And so just, like, don't, like, when people people get really like excited about ethics and they're like, I need to harass all these people who aren't using condoms because we need to depict condoms in our porn. No, we don't. Porn's a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And unless you're engaging in an extensive media contact dossier with all of your sexual partners and getting your blood taken every two weeks or every week or every day, depending on what you're doing, um, your thresholds are different and the tools you use are different than the ones in the industry, which is why I also think that industry porn, especially when it's done well, feminist porn, when it's done well, is good because it has that oversight. Mm -hmm. Just um, on a practicality matter, um, if, and I don't even know why I'm thinking about this, but like if, if um, the people are getting like the, 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 um, the workers, the performers, that's the word, are getting their blood taken like every day. Is there somebody on site who does those tests or do they have to like send it off and like wait for them they, the results? It, it depends on the jurisdiction, but a lot of times um, they will like pay public health or public health, especially in places like California where a lot of it happens. They actually have individuals who... Um, it's basically a mobile clinic that will go to different sites or they go in depending on, again, depends on the jurisdiction, how it happens. But um, usually all of the cast gets tested at the same time, basically, and it's all really like normalized. Um, and some of it is a lot of it's rapid testing for sure. Um, but it depends on the jurisdiction, um, how it how it works and where it's going. Okay. Thank you for the practicality question because i was like that just seems inconvenient but no that makes so much more sense yeah it's the same way that a lot of the like mobile testing units happen for stis and stuff like that there's pop-ups and things like that okay and you just get your results like right then and there it's really good i mean it's also i guess you can't compare everyday sex life to professional life professional mm -hmm. atmosphere i mean i know not, probably not all of them are as professional as they should be or could be but it's still like you don't 
f cr set together your table like a carpenter would do right like like you're not like there is exactly. different there are different kinds of skill sets and requirements for every job so obviously sexual health is super important in the porn industry so if it's done correctly and if it you if we're in the right scene here then obviously you would assume that all the requirements are met that everybody's safe in 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 on the set and everywhere and it's one of the the reasons that um that i really like when the industry is done well and it is it is held by the standards are upheld by good people and and people like erica lust are the people making the porn I generally trust industry porn because industry can mm. be regulated in a way that six people getting together to have sex and put it on on whatever site can't be. And we mm. want to believe that all six people are really enjoying it. We want to believe that they're all engaging in conversations around consent and desire and STIs and safety and emotional safety and all of that. But we don't know they are. Mm. So, I mean... I feel bad saying like, don't enjoy amateur porn, enjoy amateur porn, but there are ways to do it that, you know, you can have a better idea of whether mm. it's being done well. If porn is being created with an industry, yes, there might be more exploitation around who makes the money, especially if a big corporation's making the money. But there are elements that are standardized around testing, around safety, and even when um, within Planet Sex with Cara Delevingne, when she says, you know, everyone sat around in a circle on film and talked about, you know, what they're into, versions of that happen in mainstream industry porn as well. Not as well done, but like mm -hmm. everyone needs to consent. They need to sit down and say, I consent to have sex on camera with male talent, et cetera, et cetera, whatever they say. Um, and those things do matter. Now, the mainstream porn industry is still exploitative absolutely but there are things we can learn from it there are things we can mm -hmm. learn from it around standardized testing around contracts around stuff like that because the other thing that can happen with some of the more low budget stuff is we're all in agreement and we don't need any paperwork until we're not in agreement and wish we'd signed some paperwork yeah, yeah, yeah. goes with everything right you always in the end want to contract when you don't have one <laughs> yeah. like it's not it's sh it should contracts are there for boundaries and for protection mm -hmm. for whatever comes after and that matters in every area and especially in that like yeah um well, do you, and are there, there a one? lot of oh sorry are there a lot no, of different ahead. um directors like erica lust that you uh, no, because even I knew her before that. Before you sent yeah. me, I was really proud. <laughs> I was like, I know her. It's amazing. Super excited. Um, uh, yes and no. Like, I'm actually more familiar personally with, like, feminist, like, porn groups. So when Amanda mentioned Pink Label, it was one of, like, Pink Label TV was one of the ones that I was going to talk about, which does, um, they are at least partially based in Canada. I don't quite know where things are at these days, but... Um, when I was working with them, that's where they were. Um, and Pink Label TV is um, a site where you can either have a subscription or purchase things on demand and has lots of people. And for a lot of them, the directors are also in the films. And so one of the things that often happens Funny. in feminist porn is that there might be 
a director who's just a director. But often it's like their talent as well. Um, and different people might be directors on one film and talent on another. Um, people may have like, uh, might know each other from different circles and, and engage that way. Um, and so one of the things I find fun with Pink Label is that um, you'll look to see who the director is and you're like, oh, she was just in, you know, this with that one. <laughs> and like, so you can see the connections there. And I think that that's... Um, that that's one of the the best parts of feminist porn mm -hmm. is actually having people who aren't just directors, but are also like sometimes do photography or sometimes do makeup or, you know, and actually have a bunch of those skills around the table. Um, because then it's also about, I often think like, great, you're having fun having sex, but do you feel like you're engaging in the creation of something? And if you have multiple roles, not that just just being the talent, um, air quotes for those on the podcast, um, I don't think you're ever just the talent, but like it could be more, more fulfilling mm -hmm. if you're engaged in the conceptualization, if you work with different people in different capacities and build the vision in those ways too. Sometimes I think the things we, the thing we're most, we most often forget when we talk about ethical is fun. Mm. We see ethics as being like <clears throat> moral upstanding. I am very strong. I am doing the right thing. It's amazing how often we lose fun in that. Mm. And so for me, when you look at some of the collectives making porn, you can embrace some of, you can refine that fun because people are actually there to be playful and they have relationships with each other, even if, if that's just a working re relationship where they know each other and you they goof around and they know things about each other so they can, um, you know, like engage that way. And to me, that's what actually makes it more real, not about whether they have an intimate sexual connection or about whether they're sexual partners in out, off the camera. But, like, do they enjoy working together? Because mm. that can come through in the in the film as well. Like, if it's yep. two people that don't like each other, it, it's off-putting. Yes. It's like, there's only so much that, like, you know, the, the <laughs> actions can do if there's no, like, if it's like, oh, I actually hate this person that yes. I'm fucking. Like, it makes a difference. It must be so much more difficult to gloss over than actors like movie actors not liking each other because uh -huh. it's so much more close and intimate and upfront and you can't just like and i, I, I can only assume that really if you don't difficult. like the person that you're fucking you're gonna have issues mechanically doing the things yeah like and it's one of the reasons why those relationships also matter where if you want like in industry porn, like in mainstream porn, I promise you none of those cum shots are real. Mm. None of them. Not one. It's all fake cum. I'm sorry, you've just blown my mind. <laughs> <laughs> what? And so it's actually really common, like, especially with, like, with like industry porn that is produced, like let's say in California, because I keep picking California. Um, you know, like you've watched them. They have like had sex in seven different angles and seven different positions on the sofa. And then she's kneeled down and he does a cum shot on her face. And what's actually happening is fake cum is being squirted on her. 
Do you not see the cock then, or how does this work? Uh, clearly usually, like lighting tricks and things like that, and it might be enhanced, but like they're like I just I can't explain to you like um the average the average penis and and ball package does not produce that the amount much. of cum needed in the color and opa op opacity needed <laughs> to show up on film like that's just yeah like and i don't like i'm sorry trying you've to be just like, like blown everyone in twitch chat like their mind <laughs> not you haven't blown them you've blown their minds um yeah <laughs> including myself <laughs> like, yeah what i mean yeah. like logically it makes sense because obviously like if you have been having sex a lot you're probably going to have a couple orgasms you're going to come like throughout your seven hour shooting session that like when it comes down to the fi finale it's just like it tapped out well and like you're just like it's i don't i don't know how like I'm just going to speak for myself because I don't implicate anyone else. I have had an adventurous sex life. And the amount of times where, like, I'm a lesbian, but I have had sex with lots of, like, penis-having people, um, including men, in my life. And I can count, like, like what we're talking about, like, statistically significant percentages. How often does it go where you think it's going? So for that uh -huh. perfectly timed money <laughs> shot that oh, lands where you want it so that it can be, like perfectly appealing you're not getting it's it from so a penis yeah. to, to some to some no, yeah I it's get, it's I less so it, to me um but yeah. yeah like to some it certainly is um but let mm -hmm. me tell you unless it's and like it's just not going to be in the quantity and it's also going to like not stay where it needs to be for the shoot for the photos okay 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 no Come shot compilations. They're fake. Hundred <laughs> percent. Everything I know is a lie. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but like I'm not yeah, anyway. I don't watch these. I'm I mean like yeah. I'm not into this. I'm not particularly into come. I had no idea that this at all. Exists. I'm just like it's a lie, like it's all fake. <laughs> so what so what usually happens on these types <laughs> of porn shoots where like they show um maybe it smells better um but I'm not sure because what like I think it's versions of the same fake cum that I would use in sex ed. Um and so we would make um, when I was working at an ASO, we would make fake ejaculate um, for showing different things. Um, and but there's someone on set whose job it is when you get when it's like time to have the great finale to mix the cum. On on like like industry like if we're watching like these you know, are all job um, ads that you never nine. see anywhere that you can apply for. Jesus Christ. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be the cum mixer in porn, please. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and um, you can buy like from various sites and things like that, um, fake ejaculate and like ejaculate, like there's ejaculate recipes and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. 
so we have a request. Um, so how do you make fake cum? I mean, did you think that out of this entire conversation, this is going to be the part that we're all like, whoa. I, I will admit, I didn't have fake ejaculate in my notes. Um, but I mean, it's not surprising me that we're here. I'm I'm part of geek herring in many ways, and this is not shocking at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so basically, it's often like some form of starch. Um, that, and particularly something with a gluten in it. Um, and oftentimes it's, um, it's like pasty in a way, um, because that way it provides the right, um, texture. You say if gluten is in it, then the question must also be, are you gluten intolerant to the porn meat? That's, that li- yeah, like what if you are, okay, are celiac? Okay, so in... In Twitch chat, we now have a recipe for ejaculate. Um, And you'll see here what they're using is xanthan gum, which is actually a gluten-free thickening agent that's often used in gluten-free cooking. Okay. I have some downstairs. Yeah. So fake gum on the menu tonight. Yep. Oh, no, don't say that. (laughs) No, I I regret it immediately as it left my mouth. Immediately. Um, And it is body safe. And and didn't hear what you say. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, um, but but those are the things where, like, I can't tell you when I was working at an ASO with a lot of particularly, like, gay men, where they would actually be concerned about, like, I'm not, I don't, I don't produce an much ejaculate like is that a like do i have a health problem da, da, da. and like no you're not a horse like these things are like i don't know how to tell you that like but that's porn is sex ed right like no no one with a penis generally can fuck for eight hours and stay hard all that time um and oftentimes the penis havers in these scenarios are soft for much of it and so that's why the the angles change so often is so that they don't show that thrusting is happening with a semi. Mm. They they pause to add lube. They pause to like anyway. It's not sex ed because it's not real. So it's also not like in love actually with Martin whatever his name is. I'm so sad. But that was different. That wasn't porn. That was like a film, like a movie that had a sex scene. They don't scene, play so- these anymore. <laughs> They were porn actors, weren't they? Never mind. No, they were the body doubles for oh, yeah, like people in the doubles. movie who are having yeah. sex, but it was like it's not true. a porn movie, it was like a movie movie. So then there's like the th- this is a totally different topic, but then there's like having the five points of barriers between the bodies kind of thing and um making that safe and yeah. no no touching. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, not so to much. not to like go too far from Monty. Go ahead. I was just you may have no, a follow up. No, I don't have no follow up question. No, no, I don't have a follow up <laughs> question on ejaculate. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I did want to emphasize something that is really important with ethical sex work, and there's sort of two pieces to this. One is when you are buying or selling sex, different people have access to different levels of prestige within that. So what you see often in leading the sex worker rights movements are women who are 
who have chosen sex work and also have enough social standing that they can afford to be public because they don't have they don't have other marginalization. So a lot of times it's cis women, a lot of times it's white women, a lot of times it's women who are a bit older and have made enough money that they can, that they feel they can be public. Um, and when I was in this world more personally, I often challenged people who were interested in my services to also buy services from other people who were less advantaged than I was. So I was really lucky because I um, was a femdom. I am white. I am cis. I am well-educated. I mean, at this point, like I, you know, I was doing my master's. Um, and so things like that. And so I encouraged them to purchase services from other people because I have a lot of privilege in life. And so, you know, there's a catch 22 when you're, when you're looking for sex work in that the, if you have a lot of privilege, you're more likely to be there through choice and not circumstance. But I feel like it's important to support marginalized communities. So if you find out that someone is a mum, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't buy sex from them. That is actually more of a reason because you are supporting her in supporting her family. Um, and, and all of those things are really important. So who you buy your sex from, make sure that you are making choices that support in the same way when you support any small business. Mm. It's really easy, in fact, to use the same kind of qualifications. Like, are they, do they have the values that I'm interested in? Are they the people that I want to see doing well in the world? Where do I want to put my money? Put your money where your values are and support the people that you believe should be succeeding in the world or who you want. If you've got to spend money, you might as well spend it in ways that help other people who need the help or who mm -hmm. could use the social standing. The other thing is that there are lots of organizations who work to support sex workers. And these are not organizations who work to help women or not exclusively organizations who work to help people out of sex work. These are people who are rallying for rights, for better um, protections, for unions, for the, you know, even around laws and things like that. And so I really want to promote a few of these groups because if you believe in ethical sex work and if you believe in supporting sex worker rights, it's really important to get dialed into these organizations because they are sex worker led. These are organizations where sex workers have actually chosen to be a part of. Um, so the first sort of big overarching one I wanna talk about just briefly, I'm just gonna touch on these briefly, um, is the Global Network of Sex Worker Projects um, and that's the NSWP. They're actually physically based in Scotland, which is fun. Um, and that is a big sort of almost like catch-all group slash website where they are the rallying point for a bunch of regional and national initiatives. There's also a lot of sex worker news there. And again, this is sex work positive places. Um, so then drilling down a little bit more into the national, Swarm is amazing. And they are the sex worker advocacy and resistance movement here in the UK. And they are a collective. They are run entirely by sex workers and they do not allow sex worker management to be a part of their team. They do not allow sex worker management. So that means um, people who make money off of selling the sex of others. 
or um, through exploiting people in the sex work industry are not able to access like it is sex worker only collective and they are amazing um, so I really, if you're here in the UK, swarm, swarmcollective.org um, is amazing. And again, they have um, their, some of their values. They talk about supporting the trans liberation movement around um, talking about migrant rights because so the the intersection of migrants and sex workers is very, very high because if you can't get access to traditional um, economic you know, uh, infrastructure, you may have to turn to sex work, etc. And also migrants, um, because sex work isn't seen as legal work, almost anywhere, you don't have the same worker rights to migrate and things like that. Like they're amazing. Um, SWOP in the US, SWOP is the sex worker outreach project. Um, they've been they've been struggling a bit with money lately. So if you can help them out, that would be amazing. Um, and they provide um, education and a lot of advocacy. They were really at the front lines of lobbying around things like FOSTA and SESTA. And they've done a lot of work to um, try to advance and advocate around sex worker rights. Um, especially as the U.S. sort of swings in some areas a bit more right wing and things are becoming more criminalized, they're speaking up for people. Um, and then there's the European Sex Worker Alliance, the ESWA, and I don't know these as well, but I looked them up and they are part of the bigger picture. Again, very like they're sex worker run, very sex positive, and um, that is more of a regional one. Um, and again, all of these are organizations you'll see... Um, some of the insignia you might look for is the red umbrella. The red umbrella is the sex worker rights um, insignia, basically. Um, and it's our our calling card, basically. Um, and then finally, last but not least, I left this one last because it's near and dear to my heart, is Maggie's Toronto. Um, and that's the Toronto Sex Worker Action Project. Um, I actually was on the board of Maggie's for a little bit, and they're amazing. Um, and they have done amazing work in particular to move the sex worker right discussion from those with a lot of privilege who are doms working in dungeons who have a lot of access to actually talking about how do we how do we address survival sex work how do we make sure that people who might not want to be like who it's circumstantial um also have rights and uh relieve the stigma so that they can access life in easier ways because of the stigma that comes with the work they do. Um, and Maggie's Toronto is amazing and they do a lot of outreach across Canada. Um, but they are centered in Toronto, which is, um, at least when I was there, Canada's sort of sex work capital. Um, why should you support these organizations? Because if you believe in ethical sex work, you need to support sex worker rights. Preach. You're here. Um, <laughs> And just on a logistics, I will have all of these links in the show notes. Um, so no need to furiously, frantically write them down as Gemma was going through. They will all be there with an easy click for you. Um, thanks for sharing them all, Gem. Perfect. Thank you so much for everything today. Mm -hmm. I think I it need was, to close sorry, it was a lot website. of words. Horny. We, we could have <clears throat> uh, gone on and on and on about this. Um, mm -hmm. But I think we could have like 100 them. conversations yeah. about this and it would be just as fascinating, wonderful, heartbreaking, hilarious, all of the things that, um, and yeah. 
when you were like, we want to do a deep dive into ethical porn and sex work. And I was like, how many hours do we have? And like, obviously I knew like not, but that's why I was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to touch on some like key pieces here. Yeah, we can, um, we can absolutely do a deep dive into like a specific topic in the future if you're up for yeah. it. Um, we did have a question in chat and I'm going to ask because um, I think it's fun. Um, fun? Yeah. I don't know. That's not the right word. We have a question. Um, are there ever porn strikes? So I don't know of um, porn strikes as such. I know that um, some porn professionals are part of greater union groups within especially places like California. However, to talk about sex worker strikes, um, because that was the other sort of additional question with that, is that um, you know, the ability to strike is one that is one from privilege, but there have been, um, and I, I don't know off the top of my head, um, the dates, but there have been moments where um, women in particular have like refused to engage in sexual activity in order to make a point. Um, and when there have been general strikes, sex, sex workers have often taken part in them. Um, and that is, um, there is a lot of like class consciousness there basically where like the the working class like sex workers for the most part are part of the working class and so when we talk about capitalistic exploitation of humans and of the human body sex work is right in there with it and so in general strikes it is not uncommon especially now as we see um we see um the ability to do so because sometimes it's not safe to do so um but you will see people saying, no, we're not going to engage in this until you fix your shit. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, exactly. Um, the comment is around Sweden and women's rights. And so when you, um, a lot of times like sex worker rights are really linked to women's rights. And so, um, yeah, I don't have the details, but I will um, do a little research so we can put them in the show notes. Sure. That'd be great. So we'll Thank answer you your so question much. better in the show notes. <laughs> Um, yeah. Thank you, Gemma. This was, this was a great conversation and as always, I learned a lot. Like I, I thought that I had a fairly good understanding of a lot of this and I didn't. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was aware that I have no idea, but, <laughs> but anyway, Eric Lass, I feel like I'm already on the right, on the right track there. <laughs> Uh, yeah thanks for having me I really appreciate it and I really appreciate the opportunity to further destigmatize this stuff because that ultimately is the most important move towards mm -hmm. making all of it more ethical yeah mm -hmm. yeah and thank you for sharing your expertise with us and with our amazing listeners and viewers uh, many of whom you know because you are also part of Geek Caring Productions as a whole. Tell us where, tell us about your show. Tell us where we can find you and tell us about like all your new being on Twitch yourself doing things. <laughs> um, so generally speaking, if you're looking for me as a human, um, I am Games Mistress with a Y. Um, just about everywhere, including Twitch. Um, and I do now stream on Twitch, although my streaming ooh, is ooh. the opposite of this. Um, it is <laughs> so cozy. a lot of co-working. <laughs> it's a lot of like cozy. I am I am multifaceted and I have decided to go with the like low key, uh, really positive kind of Twitch space. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me here and on most things like Instagram, Twitter, all of those places, Twi uh, TikTok, I'm, I'm games mistress with a Y everywhere. Um, and, and that's, 
mostly where I like to be these days. And I've really enjoyed having the opportunity to talk about writing sex and writing erotica as myself and not having my lives be quite so distinct. It's been a project over the last four years or so to start weaving those things more together. Um, and so I write erotica. I do not currently sell my erotic work because I do not have the legal ability to do so in the country that I'm currently residing in. That will change as of the <laughs> fall. Um, I'm still writing, but I'm just giving it away at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, and so um, there's lots of, uh, if you're looking for good erotica, you can go to places like Smashwords and Lit Erotica um, and find stuff there. Um, and you may or may not find Gemma Glitter there. <laughs> Perfect. All of that will also be in the show notes. So people will actually find you. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for your time and energy and knowledge and expertise and everything. It was a blast as always. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And on Geek Hearing Productions, I have a show with my partner. I forgot that one, Whack, which is <laughs> um, great. I love doing a talk show with her um, and Liz is amazing and Geek Hearing is the best place to do it. So um, that will continue on every other Wednesday. Stands for We Have a Query, and it's all about queer issues and queer books and queer TV and documentaries and just being and existing as a queer person in this world. And it's fabulous, and I absolutely recommend it because every week I'm like, oh, that was fascinating. I really learned something. Um, and Amanda is not biased at all because it's on Geek Caring Productions. Uh -uh. <laughs> no, like, I mean, yes, but also it's awesome. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, awesome. it's yeah. It's true, so she's right with everything she said. And I don't need to be nice. <laughs> I want to be nice. Amazing. Cool. So this was it for this week then, I would say. And we see each other again for another amazing episode next week. Of no, we don't. In two weeks. Oh, in two weeks. I'm sorry. Two weeks. In two weeks. Two, in two weeks, weeks. Because Amanda is doing important podcast stuff next week. It's true. It's How is true. it already next week? I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, so in two weeks, so on Twitch and in your podcast, whatever you're, whenever you're listening to this, you have a week gap from us. So go and listen to something. There are so many, meantime. 177 other episodes that you can listen to. Yeah. This is the first one you find. So I exactly. don't, don't, won't get boring for you. <laughs> cool. Cool. Thanks. Bye. 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 If you like this episode of Geek Caring, why not leave us an iTunes review? You can also find us on social at Geek Caring and over on geekcaring.com. 